of you don't know me, my name is Scott Crawford. I'm the discipleship pastor here, associate pastor, plumber, uh, electrician, whatever else needs to be done kind of thing. So uh, but glad you guys are here this morning. Um, I love the Messina family. Uh, I got the opportunity to actually be a part of uh, Laura and Carl's story early on and see them introduced. And Carl come in my office one day when he was working for me. They were actually both worked for me in Orlando at a campus ministry. And Carl came in and is like, OK, so I've got this girl that I really like. Right. And I'm like, OK. You know, he's like, it's Laura. I'm like, oh, you know, and here we are three kids later. Um, and uh, it's great. So love the Messina family and uh, love, love the fact that Micah's dedicated this morning. So if you're new to vintage or you, you haven't been here in the last few weeks, we're in the middle of kind of going through and looking at the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. And uh, Steve uh, talked last week um, in Acts chapter eight about Simon, the sorcerer and big peace. And Simon wanted the power of the Holy Spirit and wanted that. And, you know, was, had this heart uh, that was improper or wrong before the Lord because he wanted power because he wanted power for power's sake. And he wanted to be powerful rather than respecting and honoring and putting God first. And so that's a part of what we were looking at in the resistance that we see. And so we're moving on this week to Acts chapter nine. So if you have your Bibles, you can uh, follow along with me or you can read on the screen. But I'm going to begin reading in, in verse one of chapter nine. And this is Saul's conversion. Now, when we say Saul, many of you uh, are familiar with Saul because you're familiar with him as Paul, the apostle. But this is the moment that there's a transition from where he goes from being Saul to Paul in chapter nine of Acts. So read along with me. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for the letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any who were there who belonged to the way and the way was who the the Christians were called at the time. So any of these Christians whether men or women, that he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground as he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go to the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand in Damascus. And for three days he was blind and he did not eat or drink anything. Now, I don't know what your conversion experience was like. But Saul's is pretty dramatic. You know, the men traveling with him, it's as though there was thunder and they're just like, what in the world just happened? This man is fell on the ground, heard this, says he hears this voice. And now he has he's blind and like he has scales over his eyes. Right. And you can continue on reading this afternoon in in Acts chapter nine to hear a little bit more of of Paul's story. But but what we're going to kind of dive into and look at this morning is this reality of this conversion experience. You see, there is something powerful that happens when a person gives their life to Christ and is filled with the Holy Spirit. The first example and an experience of that that we see in the book of Acts in Acts chapter two, when the apostles are gathered together in this in this upper room, they've kind of gone and they've been 
they're they're hiding away in, in concern and fear for what may happen to them if people find them and, and recognize them to be followers of Jesus, this people of the way, because people like Saul are going around and capturing them, bringing them to prison and, and punishment follows. So they're hidden away together in Jerusalem. And then the Holy Spirit, as we see in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit falls. It's like tongues of fire coming on them. And suddenly these men who were sitting around together, fearful, something significant happened in their life. And and they were able to suddenly begin speaking different languages that they had known and be able to speak in in languages of this of the crowds of people that were in Jerusalem for that week. And be able to suddenly they walk out of the room and they were proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ boldly. And and we look at in that chapter that thousands came to know Jesus just that day. So there is something significant that happens in a conversion. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon a person's life and we see this in evidence of the Holy Spirit moving in power from where these men were hidden and fearful of what was taking place. And then the next moment they're out. Preaching the gospel, standing up and declaring and crowds of people are moved. And so really, as we talk about Saul's Saul's conversion and becoming Paul, the apostle that we know, who wrote so many of the letters in the New Testament. I think it begs the question of asking ourselves, where we are, where are we in our conversion? And what is the fruit of our conversion to this gospel of Jesus Christ? What is the reality of the Holy Spirit Having his way in our life and in any way, does it look like what we see a conversion to look like in the New Testament? Before we kind of continue on in, the, in that, I want to just kind of let you in on an inside story. And this inside story is weird. I mean, I'm just going to tell you sometimes spiritual things are just a little strange. I admit it's kind of strange. But several weeks ago, um, we meet on Tuesday mornings at 630 for prayer. And uh, it y'all must not have known that because not many of you come. Um, but, uh, but Bill Stevens is faithfully there and we have about a half dozen or so that are faithful to attend. And, and how many of you were here Tuesday night prayer to last Tuesday night, right? Aaron, his brother Chandler led us in, in worship. I felt like it was powerful. And I've asked, I've asked, um, Aaron who leads worship regularly here to come and he's going to kind of lead us in a prayer time. So kind of a change up for those of you that come, um, that we're going to have some worship on Tuesday morning here in the lobby and just encourage and invite you guys to come. Youth, it's, it's, it's going to be very similar to what prayer is like at camp. And so we'd love for anybody that's interested to come and, and just kind of press in and connect with what God's doing and, and praying for the church. We'd love to have you all here on, on Tuesday morning at, two, at 630 in the morning, a.m. It's early. Um. So I was sitting in prayer uh, several weeks ago before youth camp, and um, and I just got this picture in my head. And sometimes that's the way God speaks to you is that he plants thoughts in your mind that aren't your thoughts. They're actually thoughts that God has for you. It's one of the five ways biblically that we see God speaks to his people. Right. Is that he speaks to you personally in your in, in thoughts. And so I had this picture in my head. And that's usually how he speaks to me of this lightning bolt coming down and hitting the prayer time at camp. And that that what happened at prayer gets spread back out into the church. And so I was not planning to go to camp, but I decided, okay, from this picture that I got, I feel like I need to go be a part of the prayer times at camp um, every morning 
Um, youth go off to camp. If you didn't know that, we've been talking about it for a while. But youth go off to this week-long camp, and every morning at 6.30, they have a time of corporate prayer. And in a room about half this size, you know, um, they fill the place up. Now, they're up till all hours of the night. And uh, but for some reason, these kids get up and go to prayer at 630 in the morning. The first time that my oldest son, Andrew, went to camp, I had a text from one of my friends who was at camp. I had I, I was not there. He said, I'm watching your son walk across the lawn to go to prayer at 630 in the morning. And I'm like, this poor guy doesn't know who my son is. There's no way Andrew is up at 630 to go to prayer, you know, and um, and. And my experience of having this was my first time going to camp, my experience as I've asked youth about their week at camp has consistently been the same, you know, win that shared, you know, they they do amazing things. They have this day where they're squirting paint all over each other. They're going through and doing like this obstacle course through the mud. They're doing these amazingly fun things. You know, one year they're. They do. It's strange. okay? but, you know, I think they play Frisbee with like a bull testicle. I mean, it's like really weird stuff that they have these kids do like this year. You know, Logan got this can of nacho cheese poured over his head. And I mean, it's it's crazy stuff. But without a doubt of the of the kids that I asked, how was camp and what was your experience like at camp? What did you like the most? I asked that same question to each one of them. What do you like the most? Every kid that I've asked has said either worship or who I encountered Jesus to be. Something to the effect that is this significant spiritual moment that the thing I loved most was not the, the paint or the fun stuff that we do. The thing I loved most was worship. The thing I loved most was who I encountered Jesus to be. There are these powerful moments that Lord has in store for us, that he is inviting us to more of who he is, so my my picture that I got in my head that I believed was the Lord directing me in some way to go to camp led me to go to camp. And um, and so I was at prayer at six thirty um, this specifically the, the morning that um, I'm going to kind of tell you about. Uh, there's this big room and in the middle of the room, I mean, there's people everywhere, but in the middle of the room, there are this little wooden table and on the wooden table, there are these little small candles, but they're plastic candles. Right. I mean, it's a. Big room full of people, standing room only, and there are candles out for kind of ambiance sake, right? And it's smart to have plastic candles with a room full of people, right? Especially youth. No offense there. But it's just a smart thing to do. And I was praying and I just felt like the Lord said, that's not what I want. But that's who my people have been. If you ask anybody, what is that sitting on the table? They would say it's a candle. And the Lord said, but now that's a plastic candle. What I want is a fire. What I bring is a fire. And what people have done is we've led ourselves to an encounter and an experience that is less than authentically real for what it is. That there's something more that he has in store for us. And with it comes a risk. It would be risky to have real Live candles burning on that table full of people. And so it's smart to have plastic candles to create that same thing. But 
we're mostly blind to where we've allowed the Holy Spirit to just be a plastic candle rather than bring with all that he is the risk that's involved. And I was just found myself realizing, you know, I don't think that, I don't think I'm that smart. I don't think that's just me having a clever thought. I think the Lord's speaking to me in that. And I just began to pray into it. And and I felt like the Lord gave me a, a couple pieces. And and, you know, in, in regards to fire, I like camping out. I like making a fire. I don't necessarily everybody else does like making s'mores because I usually get to clean up the mess. But, you know, the whole s'mores thing. And so when I make a fire, you know, you put. Some wood down that you've cut. I like built, digging a little trench if you're making a campfire. Now, if you didn't know this, is a great trick. You dig a little trench, you know, just four or five inches deep, you know, however long you want it. And you put your, your firewood at the end of the trench. And then you get your fire started. And, and what happens is there's oxygen that runs up that little trench and gets under that fire. And, and you'll never really have to stoke the fire. It just burns so hot because there's so much oxygen that's just getting sucked in by the by the fire that it makes this amazing little campfire. It makes this little small furnace. Right. And so, you know, there this as I was praying into there are three ingredients for a fire. There's a there's a fuel that's this wood. There's the the environment, the oxygen that's needed. If you don't have the the fuel, if you you know that this fire is just not going to take take place. And you've all seen a fire that gets snuffed out. And then there's a spark that, that, that this source of that started everything, right? And and what I want to talk to you about this morning is this reality of who the Holy Spirit wants to be in the reality of our conversion, because we bring to him the wood. And that's mostly what we're going to focus on this morning. We bring to him the wood that is the all to set on the altar of our lives to be this fragrance, to be this incense and to be this worship before him. You see, the things that we bring to him that are an act of worship are the things that we're holding on to, the things that we hold most dear, the things that are our dreams and our ambitions and they're the goals that we have for our life. Or we're holding on to something that we really want or they could be, you know, our job. It could be money. It could be a relationship. It could be maybe for the young guys, a hope of a relationship. And the Lord's saying, do you trust me enough to let that be a fuel for the fire that I want to birth inside of you as a passion for my gospel and as a passion for a relationship with me. Because where we hold on to those things and we hold back, then we miss the opportunity. We miss the reality. We miss the great things that God is calling us to. And we may have had a conversion experience, but friends... If this gospel is true and the Holy Spirit is real and we see the evidence of it time and time again, and for those who are pursuing it, experiencing it as a reality time and time again, if all this is true, then there must be more of what God's calling you and me to. Because yesterday's bread is not going to be enough for today. There must be more. And so where you may have had a conversion experience, the Lord is inviting you to a place of being hungry for more. Continue on in my little experience that morning. It was July 4th when I got this picture of the candles and I thought the Lord speaking more into that moment. And I wrote down the, the little pieces about the three aspects of fire. There's a 
there's a wood to be burned. And those are the things that we bring to the table. There's a there's an oxygen. There's an environment of thankfulness within our hearts, you know, and there's a spark, this source that is the Lord himself that he he brings to ignite this deal. And where are we continually bringing and laying things on the altar that we're looking and trying to put our hope in? Or that we're holding back from the Lord. And where are we coming with a heart and a gratitude of thankfulness, right? And and what does the Lord want to do? So I, I walk out of that. Oh, the next thing that happened in that time of prayer is that, you know, I kind of got done with a little picture. I made some notes on my phone. And then I felt led to look up this guy uh, on my phone named Les Beecham. Les, uh, Les is a minister in Omaha, Nebraska. I've never met him. I've heard about him for 20-something years. Um uh, he's really good friends with Tom Tanner and and Les led my wife to the Lord, Rebecca, um, back in the late 90s. Uh, he came and led a, a youth you know, event for the weekend up in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, Rebecca's younger sister, Elizabeth, um, asked her to come to the youth thing, even though she was a college student or just post college and and had this in, encounter with the Lord through Les's ministry and uh, and gave her life to the Lord. So fast forward a few months. Les Beecham was invited to be the key speaker at one camp. This is back late 1990s. Right. And I've never met the man. I've only heard great things about him. Steve and Randall worked uh, with him and in his church um, years ago before. That's actually where they met. And, um, and for some reason, Les's name came to mind and I Googled him and I wanted to have a name to go with the face. And I was like, Lord, you know, do you have is there some, what is this about Les Beecham? Because it's just kind of popped up out of nowhere. Like, do you want me to go to Omaha and meet with the man? Is there like some word I need to call him up? You know, I mean, what is going on with it? And, and I just everything just kind of went blank. I was like, oh, well, I don't know what that was about. But now I at least know what the guy looks like. Right. Fast forward to later that afternoon, I was talking to my oldest son, Andrew, and Andrew had, had been up late and had to get up and came to prayer that morning, got up early. And so he was tired and uh and said he fell asleep, took a nap, and had a dream. And um, again, one of the five ways that God speaks to his people through dreams and visions. May seem weird. It is weird. But it happens. It's biblical. It's true. Andrew had a dream he felt like was from God, and he started telling me about it. And the last thing that happened in the dream is a guy came to him and said, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And then a lightning bolt flashed. And he woke up. Now, till this moment, Andrew's in here. Andrew didn't know about my picture that I got about lightning, you know, flashing and God doing something specific. That night, Daniel Simmons message was about the things that we needed to know is who is God? Who am I? And what is God doing? Because God's going to do what God's going to do. And so I drew this connection to this dream that Andrew had that there's the, here's this piece. And I would talk to him later. And as he was praying in um, as he was praying during that night at worship, he got this kind of image. Again, Andrew doesn't know any of the things I'm telling you now. I got this. He said he got this image of God lighting all these candles that he showed up and he just started. There was a fire that started to come over all the students and some people were became candles and were lit and others were being turned into bonfires. But God was doing this movement to light this fire. Right. As I talked to April, rewind just a little bit. As I talked to April, uh, June saw our, our, our admin assistant here. 
she was in that prayer time and she came out. She said, God gave me the clearest message. She said, I saw this this big pile of wood that was like set aside to be a bonfire. And God had a match in his hand and he was lighting it to be lit. Right. All this happened in the same day. Right. And as I prayed for a a young man the next night, I, I put my hand on his head and I'm not. Look, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I'll be the first to admit. Okay, and I got this picture of of a candle being lit. I did not yet know about Andrew's picture, all these candles, but I just got a candle being lit. And I asked God, what is this? You know, I don't understand. Fast forward 48 hours, all these stories start to get told. Right. And there's this consistency. Right. It's weird. Is all a coincidence or is God saying he wants to do something? I get home and I start telling Rebecca about this experience and telling her about all the different pieces of the puzzle that really I'm kind of the only one from my experience of how God's kind of putting this same message over and over together that he's saying he wants to do this thing. And she says, Scott, I need to show you my notes, because when Elizabeth, my younger sister and I went to one camp back in 1990, I think it's probably maybe 1998, 97, 98, when Les Beecham was speaking there, he preached on the fire of the Holy Spirit. Right now, how do you just put all those random pieces together unless God is saying that he wants to do something? And friends, I'm here to say that I think he wants to do that thing also in your life. And that you may have had a conversion experience and that might be holding a candle in your hand. But are you daily coming to him and saying, light me up, big guy? Set me on fire. I'm willing to take the risks. So if you want to follow me, let's look and see what what Paul's life was like. I'm going to read to you from two different letters that Paul wrote. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verses 22 through 28. Paul is standing and he's declaring and he's he's explaining what he's gone through because there are some who are. He is saying that are opposed to the gospel and are bragging about how great they are and how great an Israelite they are and trying to sway the people away from the message that God has given Paul in the gospel. And he said, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind for talking this way, but I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And besides all these things, as though those weren't enough, maybe the greatest, and I'm adding this in there, right? Maybe the greatest pain of all that I've suffered is I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Again, Paul speaking in a similar tone In Philippians chapter three, verses three through ten, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, 
who boast in the in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks that they have reasons to be confident in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee for the for zeal, persecuting the church as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were my gains, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want you to know Christ. Yes, I know the power. I want you to know the power of his resurrection and the participation of his summing of of his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Do you think Paul's conversion was a real thing for him? Do you think maybe Paul woke up every day driven by a fire for something more? We have to look at we have to look at the experience and the passion and the fire and the things that are happening in Scripture and saying, where is this true and real in my life or somewhere, some way have we missed a big part of the heart of the gospel of who Jesus Christ wants to be in my life, not just in me to experience, but also through me for others to experience. Because who people experienced Paul to be was a pretty fiery son of a gun. And I understand every one of our personalities are different, but at least on the inside, the Holy Spirit is the same. He is the same yesterday as he is today and he will be tomorrow. He is a fire as he's described. And he wants to come and build a fire and at least by all the different circumstantial little images that the Lord's giving me and the friends around me, he's ready to light a flame. The question is, are you ready to be lit? Because he's a gentleman. He's not going to force his way. He's going to wait for that invitation. But I believe where you and I are willing To be made hungry. And we're willing to climb up on that altar, as Paul says in Romans 12, in in view of God's mercy. Give yourself as a living sacrifice. Lay yourself on the altar as a living sacrifice. This is what is holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Where are we doing that on a daily basis? Where are we looking to live out the reality of the conversion that we've called upon? Where are we looking to lay the things in our lives down before the Lord and say, here, 
here is the wood that I present. Here are the things that I hold dear. Here are the things that that you can just burn up because, Lord, I want to I want to have the reality of what Paul experienced. I want to have the reality of of who you are. Control my life. And I consider everything that I've worked for, all my dreams, all my ambitions, all my hopes and all my relationships, anything that I'm trying to hold on to, Lord, I want to submit to you and lay it on that altar and say, let it burn. I consider it rubbish compared to knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Friends, where is that? The reality of the spirit's passion as a fire in your life. And where that's a, has not been your experience to date, praise Jesus, we're still breathing. He's given us today. And he's inviting us to cry out and be hungry and thirsty for more. Laying those things that we hold dear and grabbing hold of those dreams and laying them on the altar are not so that we can earn God's love. We receive God's love because of the love that Jesus Christ has shown us. That is accomplished. It's not about earning anything from God. It is about responding to the reality of what he's done for us and who he is. It's about worship. You want another story from the Old Testament about where it's about worship? As I was praying this week, this this past Tuesday morning, just saying, Lord, what's the next thing that you have? Of course, he led me to an illustration about fire. If you grew up in the church, you went to Sunday school, you probably had a flannel board that, you know, had little characters and stuff and put things up on the board and and made a mockery of the story. But that's all fun, right? And so the little flannel board picture is um, is this big fiery furnace and these three guys named Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And if you're familiar with the story, I'm going to just kind of begin reading it. Daniel chapter three is where you find this story. I'm going to just piece a few pieces together in reading a few scriptures, but I encourage you to read this story today. I believe the Lord may want to speak something to you in it. But Daniel chapter three, verse five, this, the King, King Nebuchadnezzar built this huge statue that was 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. And he said, when the when the trumpet blows, let me read it. As soon as you hear the sound from the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe or all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of 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 the gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing fire. And so whenever people heard the form, the horn or the flute or, or music, they fell down and worshiped this 90 foot statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had built of gold. That's a lot of gold. Except these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And so Nebuchadnezzar heard about these defiant three guys and he, they call him. They, they say, go get them, bring them before me. We pick up the story in verse 16. Nebuchadnezzar's furious. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. If we are thrown into this blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know that your majesty, uh, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. And these three men firmly tied fell into the blazing fire. So then when Nebuchadnezzar heard about him, he said, crank up the heat 
seven times hotter in the furnace than it's ever been. And so he bound, he had these three men bound and the servants of Nebuchadnezzar that walked these three guys to throw them into the fire. The fire was so hot, it burned the other men and killed them. These three men were pushed into the flame. We pick up the story in verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, Servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was their hair on their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Are you fearful? Of submitting the things that you hold most dear to the altar that the Lord puts in front of you as an offering to worship him with. And I just bring you back to this story. The things that are sanctified before the Lord don't burn. Not even the smell of smoke will be on them. But where we hold on. And in fear or in the scheme of the enemy to the things or the hopes or the dreams or the relationships that we're not willing to submit them to the Lord. Then, friends, the enemy's going to try to have his way and cause those things to steal, kill and destroy things in your life, not have them be a blessing. And it may be a good thing that you're holding on to. But when it's been laid on the altar sanctified and the Lord gives it back, then it's a great thing. Then it's passed through the fire unburned. And do we trust the Lord that he gives the best things and the things that he has in store for us back? We can't sacrifice something to the Lord that he desires and wants to bless us with. He'll just give it back to us. He'll just resurrect that thing from the grave. And though you may have submitted it to be burned, he'll say, no, I've got something better for you. But where are we living to live out the reality of the gospel in our lives? I want to close by reading you a a devotion I read this week. And the team that's coming up to to lead worship can come on up. This is from last last Sunday, July 15th, a devotion I read regularly. It's my utmost to his highest by Oswald Chambers. So. Listen to these words by Oswald. He begins with a passage from Romans 1, verse 14. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. Paul was overwhelmed with a sense of his indebtedness to Jesus Christ, and he spent himself to express it. The great inspiration of Paul's life was his view of Jesus Christ and his spiritual as a spiritual creditor. Do I feel that same indebtedness to Christ in regard to every unsaved soul? The spiritual honor of my life as a saint is to fulfill my debt to Christ in relation to them. Every bit of my life 
that is of value I owe to the redemption of Jesus Christ. And I am doing everything to enable him to bring his redemption into actual manifestation in our lives. I can only do it as the spirit of God works in me this sense of indebtedness. I am not a superior person among men, but a bond slave to the Lord Jesus. You are not your own. Paul sold himself to Jesus Christ. He says, I am a debtor to everyone on the face of the earth because of the gospel of Jesus. I am free to be an absolute slave only. That is the characteristic of a life when once this point of spiritual honor is realized. Quit praying about yourself and spent for others as as the bond slave of Jesus. That is the meaning of being made broken bread and poured out wine. So I'll leave you this morning with the question. What are you doing with your conversion? And is there something more that Jesus is inviting from you and from me this morning? Are you waking up every day and saying, Lord, I want more. I want a bigger candle. I want to bring some wood. I want to be I want to grow and be made into a bonfire that just burns for you. We see this in Paul's life in reading these different passages that I brought out and and so many more in his letters. We see this in Peter and in the apostles. We see this time and time again. John Wesley was said he is like a man who was just set on fire and thousands came to just watch him burn. Where is that true for you and for me? Not that it's going to express itself the same in every personality, but there is absolutely that same person, Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit that comes and burns. And it is the jealous envy that he has to be the center and to be the focus and to be the reality in every breath we breathe. And where we're not coming to him and saying, Lord, make me hungry. Then we're missing a life of abundance. Where we're not waking up and saying, Lord, I want to be more thirsty today than I've ever been before. As, I, as we prayed last Tuesday night, I want you to take your, your pinnacle moment, your top of the mountain, your most on fire moment for Jesus. And I want you to come before him and I want you to say, Lord, this is a desert. I want you to take me to a better place. The most on fire, most hungry, most thirsty place I've ever been spiritually. That is not enough. That was yesterday's bread. I want more from you. And I'm asking, won't you send your spirit to create a fire in me that burns and the world can't go without noticing? Even if that world is just my neighbor at work. Even if it's just the lady in the grocery store, I want to wake up every day praying, Lord, make me hungry, make me thirsty. I've got to have more. But is that the burning desire that comes from your conversion? Where it's not, then, friends, your life is being stolen and killed and destroyed and sucked away from you for who you can, what you can have. Just imagine Just imagine if everybody brought a couple logs and all the logs in the room, what kind of bonfire we could have where we all desire and hunger for more. We're going to move into a few moments of um, of prayer and worship. And if you've got to go, if you've got lunch plans and you need to get out of here, then then this is your dismissal. But if you can stay and, and spend a few moments in worship, then I encourage you to. To bring that question before the Lord. Lord, will you make me 
hungry? Will you make me thirsty? Will you lead me to this place where I just can't get enough of you? I want to let go of my self-preservation. I want to let go of my independence. And I want to just go again. Maybe like my moment of comfort. I want to go all in. And begin living the spiritual life that you intend for me. What is the Lord asking of you this morning that you need to let go of? Then this, this stage can function as an altar. And I just encourage you to come and lead something here. There's, there'll be teams of people on my left and right that are willing to pray for you if you need someone to pray with you. There's two baskets here. If you came prepared to, to give an offering. And, and first and foremost, or last and foremost, there's communion on my right, your left. To remember... The sacrifice of our passionate king who is burning with a passion to know you and to know me and is still doing so today. And he's saying, come, ask for more because I want to do, I want to build a bonfire among you. Jesus, have your way. Set a fire in us today. Start with me, Lord. I want to be more hungry. I want to be more thirsty. I'm asking for more. Show me the things that you want me to let go of and just sacrifice or lay before you to submit to the fire. One thing I know, Lord, there must be more than all that I've known.